This is a description of Christ in all of his supremacy. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and then through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, uh, and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up my flesh in what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission of God, the commission God gave to me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea, for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Let me pray for a second because that's an awful lot that we just read. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for what it has meant in the lives of innumerable numbers of people in drawing them to understand all of what you've done and the one way in which you've done it. Would you help us understand the clarity of that today? In Jesus' name, amen. So Colossae is this city that receives this letter to the Colossians. And this church had come about because of Paul being in another city not far away called Ephesus on the coast of what we know as modern-day Turkey. And inland from there uh, was this city of Colossae and some others. For a year and a half, this man, Paul, lived in this place, and he taught, and people came and went and, and uh, heard him and learned from him. And some of them went and started churches like this one in the city of Colossae. But now it's years later, and the, the man that did that in this situation is Epaphras. He's mentioned in uh, the previous passage we looked at last week. But years later now, the clarity of that message they initially received has been muddied. 
They've added things, uh, spiritual add-ons and invented requirements and philosophical confounders are making things complicated depending upon man and not on God. And so into this context, Paul writes a message that I'm summing up as next, yes, novel, no. There is a next life which Christ has bought us and he offers us that we're supposed to move into. Now, as profound and as meaningful as the gospel is, its beauty is found in the simplicity and the singularity of its expression in Jesus Christ. That I want to get across to you in this month of August as we look at Colossians. But then also it's true that subsequently that same expression of the gospel is shown in the work of the Holy Spirit and the church of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to get into in the fall and look at for a number of months. Now, that's a, that's a mouthful, but I just want us to focus in this month on the simplicity and the singularity of the gospel of Jesus uh, expressed through Jesus Christ. So the first thing that we looked at last week was this next life, and it was kind of all uh, returned to all of the good that we had lost, seeing all that God intended for us. And there was this prayer that, that Paul prayed that they would be able to reach back and understand all that God intended for them and allow Him to draw them to Himself. He says that He rescued us out of that dominion of darkness. He drew us back to call us His own into, into all that He has for us. And your uh, little outline there shows you uh, where we're going to go as we continue to move forward through this letter to the Colossians. But today we're ready for more of the plan. So, so having seen what he, he wanted to, to, to restore us to, now we need to understand from the next life, the next one. Really how he did that. So listen to this. In God's plan of redemption, there was only one way. In this plan, Father God invested everything in his one and only Son to create all that there is, and then recreate a people and a new heaven and a new earth for himself out of all that was alienated for him. All of creation waited for an answer for what was next, and the answer was found in one. Now, do you believe that? Do you agree with that? Are you sure? Are you sure you heard all of it? Would you be able to simply articulate the essentials of God's plan from the beginning to the end? Here's my point today. It's so easy to only get half the story. But there's so many details, there's so many things involved. You know, it's so easy to only get half the story. Ironically, through singular focus, you get the whole picture, though. And that's what I want to show you today. So let me show you what I mean. It's so easy to only get half the story. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus told three stories. So I'd like to tell you about those three stories that Jesus told us and maybe give us a picture of what kind of God we have. You see, first of all, there was a shepherd. And he had a hundred sheep. I'm thinking that's a lot of responsibility. A hundred sheep. It's a lot of sheep. Never been a shepherd, but that's got to be a lot of work. And they're always needy. They're always there. They never go away. 
You don't get vacations. We're talking 24-7, 365. This is a lot of work, a lot of responsibility, a hundred sheep. One day, this shepherd just walks off. He just leaves. He wanders around the countryside for days. Who knows what he was doing, but he's gone. And he's gone for a long time. Wow. That's a good shepherd for you. Then he comes back one day, having neglected all of those sheep for such a long time. And you know what he does? He throws a party. Nice. His own welcome back party, I guess. And his friends all come in, and they're all happy, and they're singing, and they're dancing, and they're laughing all night long. And what are they celebrating? Some guy who just walks off the job, and when he feels like it, he walks right back in again. I don't know. What kind of shepherd is that? Is that what Jesus is supposed to be like? So, that was the only story. Then there's this woman. She's a homemaker. That means she doesn't work. Ha! <laughs> right. Her work never ends. Kids, house, husband, relatives, dates, appointments, budgets, birthdays. She's a counselor, tutor, planner, preparer, nurse, doctor, teacher, lawyer, accountant, manager, keeper, cleaner, solver, and sage, all wrapped up into one person. How'd you like that? I was going to say I worked a long time with that, but I really didn't. You know what I'm talking about, homemakers, though. Then one day, this lady, this homemaker, just neglects all of her responsibilities. Not sure what happened, but she was on a mission. She's focused. Everything else got lost in that single-minded pursuit after something. I don't know what it was, but for a time, nothing else mattered. This goes on for a while. And then you know what happens? She throws a party! Unbelievable! Here we go again, friends and neighbors, and they're all partying and singing and enjoying each other in the wreck of the house that it had become because she had been neglecting all of those responsibilities before. I don't know. What kind of homemaker is that? Is that what Jesus is supposed to be like? One more story. There were three. So there's this man, he's very rich, and he has lots of land and possessions and employees. He has a business, and he has a family. I think he has a couple of kids, one in particular, that had a really bad attitude. He worked for his dad, but he never seemed to be happy. I'm just guessing that this man wasn't much of a father. At least one of his kids didn't think so. And the other one? Who knows? Nobody knows what happened to him. Nobody ever sees him. Then one day, you guessed it, another party! Wah! Places going crazy, hooping, hollering, everybody's showing up. There's this huge barbecue. You can smell the meat cooking all over town. And then grumpy old son himself is seen running from the house madder than a wet hen because he didn't know about the party or something like that. But the father just keeps celebrating for whatever reason. kind of father is that? Is that what Jesus is supposed to be like? Are you hearing me? Or inside are you going, you've only got half the story, you bonehead. Because 
That was a sheep that the shepherd was out looking for. So important to him, he'd be willing to let the 99 stay on their own until he found that one. You jerk. That was the celebration. He found the sheep. That was a coin that that precious that woman was looking for that was so precious to her. And it's being found was the celebration. Didn't even matter what her house looked like. <laughs> Come on in, this is great. And that was a son who had been lost to the father. And he returned. He was the one being celebrated. You see my point? It's so easy for us to only get half the story. But ironically, through singular focus, you get the whole picture. Now let me explain what I mean by that. You need to know all of who Jesus Christ is. And this is why this important passage that we've read is as important as it is beautiful. This is one of those passages that... Um, well, it's, it's a comprehensive explanation of who He is, and we go to it to explain the essence and the character and the deity and the sufficient work of Jesus Christ on behalf of all men. In understanding all of who He is, and what God has done through Him, you get the whole story if you get Him. So I want to try and show you that. You know, going through Colossians in a month, you could spend a lot more time on this passage. But let me just give you four handles that are going to give you a real, I think, good explanation of who He is in, in all of who He is. So first of all, visibility. He is the God that you can see. It says, the image of the invisible God. The, Hebrew, uh, the author of Hebrews uh, goes after the same thing. In the beginning of his book, he says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Now that's really important. Why? Because this is to whom we are to go, the one that we can see. And I don't just mean see as in touch and, 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 and light reflects him and I actually can see him. I mean see him in terms of understanding. This is through whom we find understanding. In fact, chapter 2, verse 3, we read, it says, In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus isn't a way to God. He's the only way you can both approach and understand God. Visibility. Not just with your eyes, but with the eyes of your mind. Understanding as well. Secondly, supremacy. Two times in the passage this word firstborn is used. It's a little misleading to us in English. Uh, the concept, the idea of the book is that, uh, of, this, of this word is to be first or chief, before, best, first of all, foremost. So, he's firstborn, he is foremost, he is chief over two things. Creation, verse 16 tells us it was created by Him and for Him. And then verse 17 says that it is all held together by Him. Now, many people have considered God the creator of the world, but kind of like somebody spins a top, and then He just kind of steps back and He's away. But it's clear in the passage, it was created by Him. Everything created, heaven, earth, anything you see, anything that is, all realms were created 
by Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ, and they're all held together by him as well. So he is near, he is close, he is a part of it. He is making sure that everything is sustained the way he intends. I call that supremacy. <laughs> Supremely powerful and in absolute control. And then he's also firstborn over the resurrection. Now, that means he is the proprietor of the resurrection. It is his to offer and to use for his purposes, whether it's salvation or damnation. It's interesting. Everyone will be resurrected to face one judgment or another. This is his. He is the owner of resurrection. He has power over life and death. He isn't just a powerful expression of God that's on our side as if he's, you know, my celestial buddy. In him is invested everything necessary for us as God's creation to first exist and then to continue to exist, either in his presence or not. That is supremacy. Then there's exclusivity. The fullness of God dwelling in him in verse 19. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Have you ever noticed that English preachers sound so much more spiritual? I just had somebody give me a set of CDs uh, after, uh, after the first service uh, of Alistair Begg. Hey, Alistair Begg's Scottish. They're the best of all of them, right? And I don't do Scottish very well. But, um, but as a family, years ago, we went to here uh, to a conference and there was this British preacher there. And, and they just sound like they've been in the presence of God, after all. You know? and, and he must have been preaching on class, I don't remember. But for years, there was this buzzword in our family because we heard this guy say, probably preaching on this very passage, that, um, yes, he does exactly how he put it here. Uh, oh, yes. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Doesn't that sound really, that's what it is. God decided to take every aspect, every part, every essence of his being and to invest it literally in time and space in the bodily expression of his son, Jesus Christ. There's a real big so what after that. How much does God love you? So much that he would take all of his being and invest it in one who looks like you. That's amazing. And in him and through him, he accomplishes all that he wants to do. Exclusivity. In this necessity, it becomes very significant that the fullness of God indwelt bodily in the actual person of Jesus Christ in time and space. He isn't just some way to find help. He's the only way to God. And then there's totality. Through Him comes the reconciliation of all things. Through Him to reconcile all things, He says, in heaven and on earth. As complete as his, ended, and his identification was and His investment in redemption, so was its results 
as w- uh, that will result in the reconciling of all things in all realms for His purposes and His glory. So as much as I just told you a minute ago, God loves you so much that He was willing to become like you, here's the rest of the news. He didn't come just to save you. Please don't misunderstand it. He came to save you. But He didn't come just to save you. He came to make right everything that was made wrong. In all realms. In heaven and on earth. And around here, we like to say it this way in our four little things that God would say to you if He walked up to you. Remember what the fourth one is? In time, He will fix everything. There's such hope in that. We're not just saved and we're forgiven and we kind of hang in there till Jesus comes back. He has so much that He wants to do way beyond you in all realms of heaven and earth. Gabe Lyons in his book, Next Christians, has reminded us of this. He offers a call to teach the whole story and not the partial gospel. He says it's this way. There is creation, and there's the fall, and there's redemption, and then there's restoration. And it's so easy for us to only get half the story. We have inadvertently cheapened the gospel by only talking about the fall and redemption. Now, I don't want to give those up. (laughs) They're absolutely essential for us to be redeemed. But there's more to the story. We have missed creation and restoration and inadvertently cheapened the gospel. Now, this isn't novel. This isn't some bright idea that some guy came up with and now he's added to the gospel. It's what Colossians says. All four of these things are here. It starts with him as the creator and by him were created and he sustains all those things. And then it includes him as the restorer. Verse 20, through him all things will be reconciled. And then we have the redeemer of the fall in verse 21. You were alienated from God and enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you through Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in the sight without blemish and free from accusation. All four of these things. He has created all that is visible and made Himself visible. That's creation. He is exclusive in the answer to our need as sinners. That's the fall. He is supreme in His ability to redeem us. That's redemption. And in His totality, He can and will restore all things. That is restoration. The idea of a complete gospel is not novel. It's next. And that's what the rest of the passage is from verse 24 and following, which I'm not going to take the time to preach. You can go look at it. But Paul, having understood all that this was and explains it from verse 24, then goes on to say, now I have become a servant by the commission of this great God to present you the Word of God in all its fullness. All that is next. And that's why in the fall, we're going to start looking in the book of Acts into all that is next. He puts it in a simple phrase here. Salvation to the Gentiles. 
which doesn't mean anything to us, but you've got to understand the context of this situation. Up until this point in time, if you wanted to get to God, you had to go through the Jewish nation. That's why God has so many things to say in the Old Testament about how poorly they treated the aliens and the strangers and the foreigners because their only hope was to come to God through the Jewish people. But now when he moves to the New Testament, everything changes. And he reveals a mystery that has been hidden. A corner is about to be turned. Something is about to be revealed. And where I said last week, God has so much in store for those who love him. You remember I said that? You know that personally, he wants you to realize all that he had in mind for you. And so we said uh, out of Corinthians, you know, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived all that God has in store for those who love him. That was a personal application. This week, it's a collective application. As he spreads the blessing of his plan through the whole earth to all creation, he is going to restore all things in heaven and on earth. You so easily only get half the story. So let's get back to my initial declaration. In God's plan of redemption, there was only one way. And in this plan, Father God invested everything in his one and only Son to create all that there is and then to recreate a people and a new heaven and a new earth for himself out of all that was alienated for him. All of creation waited for what was next. And the answer is found in one. Now why is that so important? Why am I up here screaming and yelling about this? Because I think we've gotten half the story and we've lost the unbelievable power of a creator God and a purposeful God who not only created all those things but created them for himself and an intimate God who continues to sustain all of that for his purposes. He's not distant. He's right here. And I think we've lost the other end of the gospel in that he purposes to restore all things to himself. And application number one is, it ain't all about you. But he loves you immeasurably, because he became like you. But he intends to do so much more than that, which calls us to say, what is next? What does he want to do? Apparently, this creation really does matter. And we're supposed to be stewards of that. And apparently, there's so much more he has yet to accomplish because he hasn't returned yet. So what is it? What does he want to do for me and you as we join him in that plan? It's not cheap in the gospel. One more application. Why do we have to be so exclusive? If you are a sharer at all of this gospel with people that you know because you came to understand that God became like you and loves you that much and, and forgave you and gave you a new life and you want to share that with other people. One of the things that we often get as sharers of that gospel 
is that we're so exclusive. Why does it have to be so exclusive? I mean, there's all these different ways and there's all these different people and, and, and tribes and languages and everything and, and you're even telling us that there's so many out there that haven't even heard his name. And why does it have to be so exclusive? Here's my answer. Number one, we are not exclusive in what is being addressed. I think we will find our message of this gospel more compelling if we will share the whole story. If people will see that we really do believe in a Creator God and we care about the creation and that He is using that creation as a matter of fact to bring glory to Himself. And we care about that. And I also think that it will be a more compelling message if people will understand that there is hope beyond their circumstances. And we believe that God has so much promise that He is offering a world that He wants to return to Him. That message becomes so much more compelling when it isn't just about the fact that you're an awful sinner and God has answered that marvelously. Absolutely essential to understand. But all four are the whole truth. Now, what we are exclusive about is how it's done. And it's only done through one. And so you'll still get, I'm sure, well, I don't want to just be that way. My answer to that is, who else? Who else could possibly solve this problem? Who else could take not only man, but an entire creation that is alienated from God, that has, that has all the results, all the pain and all of the fallenness and the, and the rot and the death that are a result of our turning our backs on God. Who could fix that but God? Only He could fix it. And only He gets the glory. And He decided to invest it all in the one. All the fullness of the Godhead. Bodily. In Jesus Christ. Huge what He did. So simple. If you'll make that the focus. Let's not cheapen the Gospel. But make it all about the one who has done all that he's done and will still do. What's next? That's what he wants us to think and consider and pray about and look for and move into as we follow the one. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. For all that you've done and all that you'll continue to do and forgive us and just our humanity and our lack of understanding for, for having made your gospel truth any less than it is. Help us to see it for all that it is. To be the stewards of that truth in all of its completeness. And to share it those who need to hear it and understand it most importantly give you the glory 
for you're doing it so completely, so perfectly, so purely, and so simply for us to understand. May you receive the glory, and may we be compelled by this message of love to share it and join you in all that you are going to do next. In Jesus' name.